Good evening, and welcome back to the 80 Proof Podcast. We got a good one for you today. I just heated Joe up. Uh, I got him all wild for you guys, so we don't have to, like, there's no ramp up period here. He's already mad. I'm already mad. He's got the most intricate notes I've ever seen for one of our episodes so far. He's got highlighters. He's got pictures. He's got a whole sticky notes. It's incredible. You're going to love this one, and uh, we're looking forward to it. So to compliment my general salty demeanor about everything going on with the government right now, we are reviewing Writer's Tears, a copper pot stilled Irish whiskey. We haven't had an Irish whiskey on for quite a bit. And Is this like the tears of the writers of the Constitution? Is that what you're trying uh, to Right now they're rolling over in their graves, yeah. Um, what do you think? Give me, uh, give me your general feel on this. It's a generic Irish whiskey. It's enjoyable in that... It doesn't do anything badly. And that's like the extent of the praise I'm going to give it. It doesn't do anything well either. Um, we were just talking about how like, all right, so on the nose, you get a nice, a nice soft, sweet smell, I think is the way it was described. Mm. I immediately noticed the sweet. And then uh, as usual, I couldn't nail what it is because I don't eat anything sweet. But when I said honey, I, yes, a nice, sweet honey smell. For me on the taste it was not anything. It tasted like nothing. It tasted like alcohol. Yeah, it. <laughs> there's the tasting notes are pretty much the same as as your your nose. Honey, little vanilla, some malt, and a hint of oak. Surprising. Yeah, so, so, oh, oh, you don't say <laughs> oak. Uh, yeah. So when I was so straight, we'll go straight here first. I taste like nothing. A little bit of ethanol, not overwhelming. Um. Obviously, it tastes like a whiskey, but nothing that stands out. Just what the only flavors I got out of the flavors you get from every whiskey you ever drink. It doesn't matter what it is. The oak, for example. When I put an ice cube in it, or actually started with the ice cube, but with the ice cube in it, you get the vanilla right away. I I noticed it right away. You said not so much, but I it's there. It's a hint of it. If you took a little vanilla and dipped it on your tongue, kind of deal. It not overwhelming, not underwhelming just vanilla it's just there I, it's like i said it just doesn't doesn't do anything badly doesn't yeah. do anything well irish whiskey is always that kind of temperate middle of the road it's in a it's it's in a region that doesn't get too hot doesn't get too cold so you can age this thing for 100 years you won't get too much barrel conditioning irish whiskeys are like that i like them because they're usually light they have a little bit of a, of a bready flavor the ethanol kick isn't too much this one is actually surprisingly more ethanol kick on your tongue than most Irish whiskeys. I think it has to do with using bourbon barrels as a as a finishing barrel, but just doesn't doesn't do any like you said doesn't do anything wrong, but also doesn't nothing to stand this out from the middle of the pack of any other Irish whiskey I'd be drinking. Yeah, I, I think we're a little spoiled. The last couple, at least the last one we did, was really like someone trying to do something unique and different, at least for them. Uh, these guys, it just feels like they went. I like Irish whiskey, and I just want to name it this. Yeah, forty percent alcohol, so you know it's proofed down from from whatever it would come out of the barrel as. Gives you the normal story about still triple distilled for extra smoothness. Uh, it's not no non chill filtered. Um, flashes of of apple, hints of vanilla and honey. It does have a long finish. Like I said, the ethanol flavor, the ethanol taste is there more than normal for Irish whiskey, so that would that might jump out at you. I guess kind of a good one to leave on your, your bar car to throw in a decanter or something and just give to the masses if you're hosting and you don't want to put like your Connemara or a good scotch out for everyone to drink. But 
very I wouldn't know this whiskey if you did a tasting for me and you gave me a flight I would just take a sip of this and then move on. It probably wouldn't be anything I... I almost could call it 10 other whiskeys. Yeah. I I would definitely not be able to guess this on my own if it was a blind tasting. And I'm almost on the opposite side of the fence with with my opinion on this one where I I wouldn't even have this to, like, give out to the masses because it wasn't wildly cheap or anything. Well, what is the price? What was the price on this? I honestly don't remember. (laughs) I bought it last week and we didn't drink it, so we decided to use it for the podcast. It was over $40. It wasn't... Like wild, it wasn't wildly expensive, but it wasn't one of the cheaper ones out there. Like you get more quality out of a Jameson and pay less. Yeah. So again, it's not doing anything wrong. I have this in my decanter and give it out to the masses. There are better options for that. I think where it's in the same price range, you're getting more for it, or you're paying less for the same. So honestly, I'll probably never buy this again. And it's not to say that it's bad. I'm not not buying it because it's trash. If I was at somebody's house and they had 10 whiskeys I didn't know and this, I'd probably start with this to kind yeah. of get going because it's something I know I can drink and I won't hate it. You know, if someone was asking me, I want to get into Irish whiskeys, I might recommend this one just because it's a nice base level, you know, Irish whiskey. Outside of that, it's just not not knocking me out of the park here. We'll go, we'll go with that. Yeah, I hear you. Um, for Irish whiskeys, again, like you mentioned, you have like Jameson, you have the um, cast mix, you have Black Barrel, twelve and eighteen year. They, I'm a little spoiled on the on the Jameson. Right, you have you have those. We had Connemara on here, the other a really good Irish whiskey that was delicious um, a while ago. As far as Irish whiskey goes, there are better options. And if I'm buying something from across the pond, it's going to be either a Scotch or one of those Jamesons. There's probably not that much room left in my, you know, in the whiskey uh, vault for that many Irish whiskeys. If they're going to, most of them are going to be like this. So, yeah. What, what this, but what this does do well is, and if this is where your priorities are, is like not a lot of burn, very smooth. No, this, this the finish is short. It's not like you're sipping it, you had it, and then you're sipping it, and you had it. It's it's not sitting there lingering. It's not burning your throat out. It's not overwhelming your tongue. So if you're just looking for an easy night, like you just want to drink, but you don't want to like kill yourself, this might be the option. Yeah, the, the seltzer of Irish whiskey. Let's say that. yeah, that's actually really good. This this is the Kirkland Sparkling Water brand of Irish whiskeys. Yeah. It's it, it has a, a hint of a flavor. So if you if it, it tells you that you know, there's a seltzer flavor, it just kind of tastes like it was near it for a little while, and it doesn't taste bad. It doesn't taste bad, but just it's not there's it's not doing anything exceptionally well in any of the categories that would make it stand out or make me go out of my way to buy it. Especially if you said the price point's gonna be a little bit higher because it is imported coming from across the pond. There's other options you're gonna get around there uh, from. The multitude of like bourbons we've had, or even scotches and other Irish whiskeys. I'm gonna give it a, a middle of the road three. I guess direct middle of the road would be a two point no, five. Yeah, so but I I don't want to go that low because it like I said it doesn't do anything badly. There's nothing that I drink this and I'm like wow ugh, that's trash or like ah eh, they could have really nailed this or maybe a little change to the mash that way. Like no it just it just it does it it does it all. It does it all. So it's uh, like so a three is I'm gonna go with a three as well. Like a Swiss army knife of whiskeys, I guess, right? Irish whiskeys. It can get the job done if you need it for any one if you need it for one particular thing in an emergency, but any other thing that would be specific would do it a little bit better. 
So I, if I want something that I want a specific taste for, a little bit more adventure in my Irish whiskey, I'd go for that. But yeah, three is fair. Uh, Writer's Tears. <laughs> I'm sure there's a story behind Writer's Tears. Uh, I didn't get really a chance to dive into the naming. Yeah, we were, we were concentrating more on the actual topic for the week than the whiskey. Yeah. But produced by Walsh Whiskey, Carlo Ireland, Product of Ireland, blah, blah, blah. So Irish whiskeys have a tendency just to be fairly mellow anyway. Again, they get there. It's it's hundred percent barley, I believe, and because it's a very temperate area, you don't get wild temperature swings. You don't get a lot of barrel conditioning from these. These days could be in a barrel for like twenty years. You might get you get a mild color and not much not much taste. The one standout feature you do get for that more of that oaky flavor it does come from the fact that it's in bourbon barrels. But yeah, three three is fair. Uh, I feel like it's a. It's a three with the caveat. Like, it's a three, but it's not a bad three. It's not a bad three. It's just... I kinda, I'm almost at a loss of words on how to write on what to describe it's it like with. A, it's like a C plus. Yeah, there's no, there's no descriptive... You know, there's no adjectives described to it because it, maybe, maybe it doesn't that's stand what, out in anything. Maybe that's what it is. We're just so spoiled with how many whiskeys we drink regularly, plus how many we reviewed on the show, plus we've mentioned multiple times we're in the golden age of whiskeys and there's hundreds and almost thousands of options out there and they just did a whiskey. Like, yeah. They didn't do it badly. They did a really good job trying to do what they did. They just didn't do anything different from anybody else. In fact, they became, it, it ended up being so standard that it's just standard. Yeah, it's just very standard. You it's, can get the same thing out of any other Irish whiskey plus whatever they do. Like you, you get to work, they assign you a uniform, your new boots, and here's your standard issue Irish whiskey. And that's... That's it. Uh, I work at that job, though, by the way, if I'm getting assigned an Irish whiskey. No, actually, yeah, that sounds kind of good. Even if it's writer's tears. Even I'm, if I'm it is writer's tears. Actually, it's actually good if they give you writer's tears, you know? Very, uh, if you find it and it's a reasonable price, or if you are if you see it at a friend's house and you want to give it a shot, give it a shot. You said it's a little bit pricey. probably is, comparative to what else you can buy out there. It was worth the shot. Yeah, but I'm going to enjoy drinking it tonight. I'm not going to knock them. Sorry, Writer's Tears, if for some reason one of you comes across this. I, uh, we're not trying to knock you. We don't hate your product. We just don't overly love your product. Yeah. Nice short review today. I think we wanted to concentrate more on the uh, subject matter. You can't see me, but I'm being the complete disappearance yeah. of your Fourth Amendment. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, very you know, evil grin. This topic was uh, I intentionally agitated Joe to get this topic on the on the show. Well, yes, uh, me, the second class citizen here. Um, we're reviewing the Supreme Court case, uh, Coniglia v. Strom. Now, this is in the court right now. They're expecting a some sort of decision before July. Yeah, they said by, by, I believe Scotus Review said expected by summer. So, yeah. so it, they, the Supreme Court is taking on 21 extra cases a year to make up for their COVID backlog. Um, because you can't, you can't, apparently you can't decide law when there's a virus out there. Well, I'm sure there was also a little bit of a backlog from the multitude of justices that they had to get replaced during the Trump administration. And um, this is one of them that has a lot of eyes on it. People like me, like Brian, uh, because of the fact that, again, uh, it introduces a new legal concept called possible cause. 
and uh, it's very dangerous. So, on a very easy explanation level, 2015 in Cranston, Rhode Island, a town that I'm now not going to visit. Pause real quick. Pause your feed. Pause your podcast right now. Go actually read the brief because we're not going to go through the we're going to go through the details of, of the case in a conversation setting, but. We're not going to sit here and explain it word for word and like what exactly happened in order first. I probably should do that, but I'm not going to. So just go read the case. Come back. All right, you're back. Okay, you're back. 2015, Cranston, Rhode Island, a town I will no longer visit now. Uh, police performed a wellness check on Edward Coniglia after his wife reported that he might be suicidal. Apparently, they had an argument in his home. He had took an unloaded pistol, threw it on the table, said, fucking shoot me, get over there. She left, went into the hotel. People just run away from the guy when he's in, in need. Anyway, the police get called to perform a wellness check, show up to the house, say, hey, buddy, you're not doing well. You need to fuck off to get psychiatric care. He goes to. Voluntarily goes. Voluntarily goes. They didn't show up there in straight jackets and arrest him. But after he leaves, then they re-enter the home, go take his pistols, two pistols, his ammunition, and then hold on to them and refuse to give it back to him. Lawsuit ensues. They end up giving his guns back after the case, probably like you had previously mentioned, to get this case to go away. It doesn't. It goes up to the First uh, Circuit, which is a uh, regional federal court, and they basically side with the police department and gin up a new section of this community caretaker exemption out of thin air. This is what we call legislating from the bench. It gets appealed, and uh, now we are in the Supreme Court. That's that's the the TLDR of how this case got there. So that's it. Yeah, it's, there's more details, and we're going to cover them as we, we start chatting about the case. But um, let's start with the community caretaker exception. If you don't know about exceptions to the warrant requirement for the Fourth Amendment, I suggest you just Google exceptions to the Fourth Amendment, and you will find there are many of them. And by many, just, you know, four-ish. It's, you know, emergencies, you know, it's the emergency exception, uh, this one, the community caretaker exception, and a few others. The community caretaker specifically comes from the case Caddy versus Dombrowski, which basically says this this was about a vehicle and them searching it after a car accident for varying reasons, securing property, so on and so forth. It's, and we're not going to go over the vehicle exception or why it's different from the home, but just know, and again, if you want to look into it, that vehicles and homes until this case were very separate. But the community caretaker is supposed to be like in your course of your police duties that you have a responsibility to care for the community. And sometimes that requires you to enter locations without a warrant to further those duties, not necessarily in the, in the idea of trying to solve a crime or find evidence of a crime or anything like that. A good example of this, and it comes up when we talk about it later in a lot of the hypotheticals, is with elderly people. When they don't answer the phone, family members can't get in touch with them for 24 hours, you go and knock on the door, they don't answer. The community caretaker exception allows the police to enter your home to make sure you are not dead on the floor. That's a community caretaker exception. It's not an emergency because if you're dead, you're already dead. Like, I'm not coming into the home because your life is in danger. A different example would be I come up to the home for the wellness check and I see you laying on the floor. Now I'm kicking the door in to give you CPR. But if you're just not answering, I don't see you through the windows or anything like that. I'm entering the home because of the totality of the circumstances to make sure you're not dead in your bed or something. So, you know, that that's a, a an obvious reason for the police to enter your home without a warrant. And that's the spirit of this particular exception. 
I think where they're going with this exception in this case is the, the suicide reason, which is another easy example, which again comes up in the hypotheticals, is we get a call from your mother that she was talking on the phone. You said, I hate myself and I want to die. I'll, I'll miss you, mother. You hang up the phone. She calls the police. We come over. We're knocking on the door. You're not answering. We kick the door in to prevent you from killing yourself. That's an exception to community caretaker. Absolutely none of that applies to this case, but that's so you understand where that's coming from. Go ahead and read the... Um, that caddy versus Dombrowski to understand why this exception came to be when it came to vehicles and how it kind of expanded from there. But again, we're not going into that case. Just pause right now. Go read that case. Okay, you're back. So it, that's, that's the basics of what we're talking about today. So Coniglia's lawyer had a very simple premise when he argued this case in, in the Supreme Court. Okay, and here it is. Fourth Amendment protects the sanctity of the home and... Um, Warrantless entry absent consent or exigency is unreasonable, right? You have exigent circumstances. I'm going to butcher some words because uh, I can't yeah, speak exigent well. Exigent circumstances, like I said, an emergency. Consent, you told me I can. Right. So his argument was the government had neither, making the, the search and seizure of his weapons at his home unconstitutional and illegal. Also correct. Going back into the house after the fact to take the guns without consent and without reason legally couldn't now remember at, at the time this exemption this extension of the caretaker exemption didn't exist so them actually going back into the home after the fact to take the guns with allegedly permission allegedly not permission well, this is where hearsay comes up two two points with this one one this is where we kind of disagree on it is the this is in principle this is not an extension of the community caretaking exemption because like we said in that dombrowski case the exemption was for cars, which there already is an automobile exemption for, for warrantless searches. Right, but it wasn't for but the house. There wasn't for the house, but in reality, the the hypothetical, right, that we were doing was like coming into people's homes to make sure they're not DOA or whatever it is, already kind of existed in the duties of police officers. So it, while it wasn't spelled out in court, it did exist for the house. This is where we disagree. I understand that you don't agree with what I'm saying, but I'm telling you from a... I do this every day perspective. This exemption does make a lot of sense to me, and I do believe in spirit it existed already. Right now we're hashing it out in the courts with this case, which I think is a really important reason why the court's taking the case to really lay out what our abilities are with this particular exemption. I don't like this exemption in a lot of ways. I personally feel that the DOA example and the suicide example should fall under the exigency uh, exception or the emergency exception, but it doesn't because it's not quite an emergency, but it kind of is, you know what I'm saying? So, but since this exists, I feel like in spirit it already existed, but now we've gotten to a point where there's a case that actually falls in that legal gray area. The other, the other point is, which I, I feel like you didn't really get into right away, is like the cops, the officers did enter into this person's home by telling Mrs. Cal How do you pronounce his fucking name again? Caniglia? Caniglia. Caniglia. I keep saying Caliglia because we had the Rome episode, the Praetorian Guard episode. So I apologize if I fucked that up. You know what I mean. They lied to her and said the husband gave consent before he went to the hospital, which is completely untrue. The husband did not give them consent. Right. I, I, maybe you got it from reading more into it, but I don't even believe they asked. I think they just told him, don't worry, we won't take your guns if you go to the hospital. Right. They never asked, can I go in your house? And he explicitly said no, but they did say, we won't take your guns. And then, which don't get me wrong, police can lie to you. We can lie. They if do all the time, by the police, way. Yeah. Just another pause, to, uh, know your rights kind of thing. If you are under the impression for whatever reason that the police have to tell you the truth, they don't. In no. fact, we're encouraged by district attorneys to lie to you in order to get confessions, in order to get 
um, evidence in order to get you to slip up in your story. We lie all the time. We're completely allowed. And 99.9 times out of 100, it's actually acceptable and is morally right. Sometimes in this particular example, it is not. You lied and then you violated his Fourth Amendment, in my opinion. But then they go to his wife and they say, oh, your husband gave us permission to go take his guns for safety reasons. So we're going to go ahead and like do that. No, you lied. You lied. Yeah. They lied and stole his property. Yeah. And what kills me about it is if you really believe you were following this community caretaker exemption, which, by the way, is not something most cops know about because it's very rare. Like you said, it only applied to vehicles in a lot of ways. It's very rare for you to have to invoke it. So it's not one of the reasons you go get a search warrant to search a drug dealer's house, typically. Mm -hmm. So if they really truly believe that's what they were doing, then they wouldn't have had to lie to her at all. They would have just told her, well, we have to go in and take his guns. We're doing that. Because of this reason. Yeah, yeah. you don't need to lie to her and say the husband gave us permission. So that, to me, is the first indicator that these cops knew they were doing something they weren't sure they could do. Not necessarily that they had ill will, just that they weren't sure if they could, and they didn't want to get jammed up later if this guy blew his fucking brains out. So they went and took the guns and lied to her, which, again, cops can lie to you. But sometimes... It's a perfect example of sometimes you can doesn't mean that you should. Yeah. Anyway, the Chief Justice John Roberts took the exact same approach you just mentioned, and in his opening statement with uh, Caliglia's lawyer, gave that exact example: a missing, punctual elderly woman whose absence at a dinner with the neighbors prompts them to call the cops. He laid out the standard issue: we're going to go into the house without having a warrant. Now Caliglia's lawyer. For, for what it's worth, he he his argument is basically objectively down to what is what is the, the merit of the law tell me to do, and it comes down to whether the police have objective basis to think that there's an emergency that requires them to go in. They're going to throw a bunch of exemptions at him, and he's basically going to deflect all of them because unfortunately you can't can't bring too much of an emotional reading and aspect into creating laws because then they're not you're not really doing it rationally or logically. You're doing it to tug at your heartstrings, right? Then. Roberts changed his position again for the care, for the caretaker exemption, and he he brought up um, he brought up another one, a, another example of a baby. It's like, say your the police are outside, and they hear a baby crying for three or four hours. Would that give them the exemption again? And they basically pounced this back and forth between each other. And Thomas was the first Supreme Court justice, surprisingly enough, to actually ask like, what's the what is the black and white letter of the law? And this is where the arguments from not only the, the police department's lawyer, but the, the nine, the U.S. attorney representing the nine states on the amicus brief that want to support this new interpretation of the community caretaker clause basically weighed in with what you're talking about, how modern problems and modern policing environment leads, leads to these modern exemptions to a law or a, a right that was written in 1789. Joe, I don't know if you know this, but... President Biden already said that no amendment is I heard universal. That. So you know, I don't have to follow the 16th to pay my taxes. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's not the point of the episode. So that's where that's where it started almost going off the rails. Uh, Thomas asked him, well, what's the letter of the law? And then uh, Coniglia's attorney responded that, um, responded, any post-warranty uh, dis uh, discoveries do not absolve officers' liabilities, as in if they were going to the house and they find something after the fact. It doesn't absolve them of the fact that they violated this guy's Fourth Amendment rights in the first place. You can't come up with a reason to enter the house, or you can't go into the house and then rearrange your original intent for entering the house after the fact when you find something. That's not how this entire thing works. No, it's not how it works. 
Now, our, our more liberal justices brought up us. Stephen Breyer, for example, brought up the exigent circumstances exemption, which was the one they actually should have used for this. Yeah, real world, like, well, I still disagree with that, and I wouldn't get into a debate about whether or not this was exigent circumstances. I don't really think it'll be a debate because I think we're on the same page. But, like, that's the exception that they're really going in there to do. You know what I'm saying? If this is, they're going in there to take these guns away because it put, in their opinion, which I think their opinion is wrong, but in their opinion, they felt that those firearms being in his house created a substantial risk to him and his wife and the public. So they went and took the guns away in order, in the time it would have taken him to get that, um, that psych evaluation. Reality is, by the time they went in the house and took the guns, he had already gotten to the hospital, got discharged, and was on his fucking way home. Yeah. You know? It was only, I believe it was only a 24-hour hold. Yeah, so my point being is, like, they, that's the exception they should have used that would have been more appropriate. But they used this community caretaker one and then tried to backtrack and talk about how it was their community responsibility to prevent him from killing himself. And, like, we can do another whole episode about suicide and whether or not I think it should even be something we deal with. Like, if you want to blow your fucking brains out, it's your life. I am there and I run and I try and save people and talk them off the cliff, but, like, taking away their fundamental constitutional rights to prevent them from doing something they want to do to themselves. You know? At what extent does... What, what limit does the government cut itself off from trying to prevent you from killing yourself? Do I take away your guns, your car? Do I stop you from traveling? Do I lock you in a room? Can I prevent you from buying bleach at like, Depot? Like, it's... At some point, there, if, if you're really committed to checking yourself out, like... There's, at, you're, you're gonna do it. You're banned from walking onto the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, I, what do we do about this? Like, you know, now we're violating your your Second Amendment and Fourth Amendment rights to prevent you from harming yourself, which is your choice. Right. The reality of it is, if you want to punch yourself in the face right now, there ain't much I can do about it. To punch yourself in the face, harm yourself. Sorry. Look, I don't think police should stop responding to suicides or anything. I'm just saying that at some point you have to recognize and understand that like that's your decision to make you're not hurting anyone else and reality is the totality of these circumstances if you stop and read the case like i fucking asked you to go back and read it now okay we're back the all he did was essentially had an argument with his wife pulled out his unloaded gun which she attested she attested yes, to the police unloaded. when she had them escort her to the home to do the wellness check and said, why don't you kill me because I can't take it anymore? He basically wanted to die because his wife was so intolerable, which men out there, I'm sure some of you can relate to this. Sometimes your wife is just motherfucking intolerable and you would rather die. So, you know, sorry, ladies. He put the gun on the table, gave it to her. Like, he didn't threaten her with it. He gave her that, put the gun on the table, offered it to her and said, fucking kill me. Which obviously she wasn't going to do. It was a dramatic thing. And we all do that in our more toxic relationships. And if you're telling me you've never been in a toxic relationship, then you're either lying you just haven't or lived. you're in your high school relationship and it hasn't gotten toxic yet. So, and then they left. She left. Then she came, then he left. And then they all came home. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't threaten her. He didn't threaten to go shoot up a fucking school. He just said, kill me. So, reality, totality of the circumstance. And they both had the same story, by the way, when the cops interviewed them. Because rightfully so, they went with her, escorted her to the house, and interviewed him, and he gave the exact same story she gave. So they had no cause to believe that he meant harm to anyone but himself, and they barely had cause to believe that. Because reality is, the argument was, he wanted her to shoot him, and she said no. So, done. She's not going to shoot him. I don't understand the problem. Now, yes, you can obviously make the leap to, he wants to die, he may commit suicide, and he voluntarily went for a psych evaluation. Voluntarily. 
by choice when they told him to. Yes, if he had said no, they were going to force him. I would have forced him. You know what I'm saying? But he went. And in the midst of him getting psychiatric care where he's in the custody of a psych hospital under observation and his wife, who already said she wasn't going to shoot him, wasn't even in the house, these officers decided that these guns somehow posed a threat to him and others? As they were going to load themselves. Yeah, they were going to load themselves and kill him on their own accord. Mm -hmm. Like, no. And I would even go so far, and I don't necessarily believe this, but let's, for hypothetical sake, because that seems to be the way the Supreme Court's approaching it, I would even necessarily go so far as that, like, if the psych people said we're going to hold him for a week and give him meds, he really is depressed, and they went into the house and took the guns, that that may, may fall under the community caretaker exemption. Again, I don't agree with that, but I can see the logic there. The psych people let him go and said he's fine. Okay, not only did they let him go and say he's fine, the problem I have with is that this community caretaker extension that they're using to justify it physically, legally, did not exist before the first appeals case. It's not real. It doesn't exist. Well, this is, this is where they use... So they had to basically shin this up out of their, in their mind, out of thin air, when there were other circumstances they could have used, but they didn't. And that's this it, is the important point that they did. It does sound to me a lot like they did this and then backpedaled, like backtracked and went, how can we justify what we did because we're clearly fucking wrong? So like, oh, there's got to be a reason we're right. It was one, it's one of those things that rookie cops suffer from this a lot because they don't read case law. And actually, senior cops suffer from this a lot because they don't read case law. I've had sergeants that suffer from this because they don't read case law. Is they did something that in their mind they knew was correct, which not necess- wasn't necessarily incorrect. I just gave a scenario where this might be correct. And we even the justices said, well, under the emergency exemption, you might have been correct. And they went, well, under the community caretaker exemption, because I read one Supreme Court case for 10 seconds and said, well, this kind of fits after you had already done it and you were getting sued. Like, that's the wrong way to go about it. If you don't know if you can do something because you don't know the relevant case law, you shouldn't be doing it. You don't have an excuse like you did 40 years ago where it's like, ah, well, I didn't know. Take out your little fucking cell phone. You're not in danger. No one's shooting at you. And Google whether or not you can do this. Mm-hmm. Call your legal division. Every department in the country has a legal division. If you're listening to this right now and you're a cop and you think you don't have a legal division, you can call a legal division. Call the state police's legal division because they can give you advice on your state. Mm -hmm. And they will. You just have to give them your origin number. If you don't know your origin number, you're a bad fucking cop. Go find out your goddamn origin number. But basically, that, that's the point that we just brought up, is that Alito, Sotomayor, and, and Breyer basically got into an argument with each other, and they, well, not an argument, basically a heated discussion. They basically are saying that this exigent circumstance emergency aid exemptions would be the better clause to use, and I still, props well, to this guy's lawyer, he's, he said, like, that doesn't matter, because they hung their hat on this exemption. Yeah. So in this case, like, this case should, since this exemption doesn't apply, they're in the wrong. You can't. After the fact, again, you can't just assume and recreate the police officer's intent after the fact well, this and is, this say is, it's this is what they actually meant to do. I'm, I'm going to preface this with I don't think any of the exemptions applied to this. None, including the community caretaker mm-hmm. one. But we disagree on why the community caretaker one applies. You feel it shouldn't apply to the home because there was no case law to say so. I disagree. I think our duties and responsibilities dictated that this exists for everything that we do encapsulating exemption but there's only relevant case law for the car because that's the only one that's got up through into cases into the court i think this is a really good way i'm really happy the court took this case and this is to me this is the primo example of why the supreme court exists in the first place and when they do the right thing 
to a degree. Now, I don't, it depends on the decision whether or not they did the right thing, in my opinion, but the taking of the case is the right thing because while this case is really easy for them to bounce back, because I feel like all the justices, even in their arguments, seem to agree that this case was a slam dunk. We sh- this is like absolutely they were fucking wrong, but they're using it as a pathway to lay out ground rules for the community caretaker exemption for the home which me and you disagree with, I think actually already existed in principle, in the spirit of the law, in the spirit of the exemption, but needs to have some ground rules laid out for it. And I think this is a really good way for them to develop that framework like they already have with the consent, the consent exceptions and the emergency exceptions. And I'm looking forward to the decision in that it will give me, as the police officer, a little more guidance on this exception that I very I didn't realize I was already using. Because, it, again, it's not something we usually kick in. We're not, you're never going to kick indoors for this. But we're already using it for the dead body examples and the suicide examples. But because there was no Supreme Court decision previously that re- was relevant to the home, it was just assumed that it didn't apply to the home. But it does. We do it all the time. But nobody bitches when you're saving grandma. They bitch when you take away your property. When you yeah, come to my now, house. should the community caretaker exemption result in the seizure of property? That that to me is a debate to be had. We've we've had this debate off mic, and I'm sure we're going to have it tonight. And we've had it before about the emergency exemption. But in this particular instance, I don't think so. He there was no reason to take his firearms legally in this entire case, except under potentially the emergency exception. But there was no emergency present if he's already in psycho- psychiatric care. He can't hurt anyone if he's in the fucking hospital. Which is once we get to the police. Once we get to the police department's lawyer, we'll go over that. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Um, my big fear, though, is that since everyone's trying to apply, either misapply this exemption where others fit, or basically kind of like, well, I know it's legally it's not there, but okay, it's a common sense thing. What if they decide to side with the first court, Look, it becomes common with, law now. This is my fear with, like I said, I think it's, the Supreme Court is doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to take this gray area, this exemption that hasn't been laid out in court, because the other ones have been challenged in court a hundred times. Mm-hmm. This, this is the one, this is the gray area, and they're doing the right thing by making the gray area black and white. They're finally putting rules around it. The problem is that if we had, we do have a very conservative court, so it should go the correct way, for lack of better, as a matter of opinion, but Roberts is the... Well, more than, more than just, apparently yeah, more than just Roberts. We're going to get into that, but he, he, they may make this too broad. Where like officers like myself can all of a sudden be like, well, I'm hearing from the whole neighborhood that Johnny drug dealer's got a fucking gun and he's been pointing it at people. So for the good of the community, I'm going to go kick his fucking door in and take his fucking gun and then we'll find out later whether or not he really did that and then he can have his gun back or not. Is that the right way to do it? No, that that's the violation of due process. Well, like I'm assuming you're going to commit a crime. Now, this exemption, if done improperly from the court, can result in... A minority report pre kind yeah, kind of situation. Dark police, yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. So, a point important that is brought up that um, the Caliglia's lawyer reminded the, the, the Supreme Court. That is it Caliglia or Caniglia? Caniglia. You said Caliglia. That fucking Roman suck. Right? We should not have done this directly after the Roman suck. <laughs> The guy who had his, sh- his shit taken away illegally. <laughs> I mean, uh, let's pause for a second. If it was Caliglia, we should take his guns away. He was a vicious he, piece he, of shit. He's a terrible human being. <laughs> that is a community caretaker exception. He mur- he had little children swim in a pool and nibble his balls. He was a piece of shit. Anyway, continue. So, he reminded the Supreme Court that um, 
Probable cause is the gold standard when you want to take property away in this in this case scenario. So Kagan, uh, Lena Kagan, uh, told him that she doesn't really care what the gold standard is. She just wants to know what's constantly permit. She's they're arguing what's constitutionally permissible, not the gold standard because they're starting to rely on some states' red flag justifications for what when someone's weapons can be taken away. This is another reason this case is very important. Yes, if this case goes through again against people who. Uh, I would say against me or people who think like me, and it's just giving more ammunition to your local government through red flag laws to take away your guns. Yeah, so it gives them a more firm stance to go to now. This is the reason this case is becoming so important, and obviously we have a a listener base that I would assume is a little more conservative. I'm sure you're following a lot of gun channels and gun social medias and gun podcasts that are a little more specific to that topic, and they're mentioning this case. It's not a 2A case. It's a 4A case that is very, very relevant to the Second Amendment, giving the political climate, because this opens the door for red flag laws not to be able to be challenged in court because the one defense that we've all keep preaching about is the second they institute a red flag law and we have one high profile case this will go up to the supreme court and it'll be well you violated that person's fourth amendment rights not anymore if this exception gets expanded because what it'll be is we had not probable cause but reasonable cause to believe that this person meant to do harm to himself and others, so we went into his house and took his guns, and then, as long as they provide you a quote-unquote pathway to get your guns back, they didn't violate your constitutional rights. And we all know from New York and California that a quote-unquote, and and Hawaii, that a quote-unquote pathway mm-hmm. does not necessarily mean you're getting your gun yeah, back. It doesn't mean you're getting your guns back at all. They can make the pathway so convoluted and impossible that you never get your gun back. Get your guns back. 1%... A 99% possibility that you will never get your guns back is a 1% chance that you will, which means that there's a pathway. Right. And this is, I think this is where people realize, or at least um, Caniglia's lawyer, <laughs> Caniglia, realized that this was slipping away from him because he, he also said that he's in the Supreme Court solely to seek the court's decisions on the First Circuit application of the community caretaker exemption, search and seizure of his client's guns. Not the broad spectrum how do we reimagine the fourth amendment and so he not really accused but he said the justices should be reviewing the case on its merits not expanding exemptions i'm also going to find out this guy's practice and see if i can donate to him because he seems like he has a level head on him and again i i that's the one part of his argument well not the one part but one of the arguments i have against the I guess the uh, petitioner's lawyer right now is that like this is exactly the kind of case the Supreme Court should take up not because on the merits he's absolutely right on the merits of the case this is like you're all fucking wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is an obvious one and I think by the end of it they're going to decide that this was an obvious one you violated this man's fucking rights end of story the fact that the original that first district Rhode Island court decided that the only part of his complaint against the government that stood up was the due process because he didn't they just straight up told him no you can't have your guns they didn't mm-hmm. tell him how to get his guns back they didn't have a mechanism in place to give his guns back this is one of those things that red flag law, red flag laws seem to keep countrywide keep not having which is one of the reasons why republicans keep shooting them down there are republicans rhinos i guess for lack of a better word that would absolutely go for red flag laws if there was a due process system in place to get your guns back if proven innocent Guilty, guilty until proven innocent kind of standard. They are, they are out there. So please, please write your senators, write your representatives, state and state, local and federal level that you don't want red flag laws because the second they put in a good mechanism for due process, they will pass them. And this is a perfect example that they will because Rhode Island, 
as much as it's a, a liberal state, is semi-pro-2A. It's not as bad as some It's on that weird, yeah, quasi-flux yeah. of have your guns, but we're also pretty liberal. Yeah. So, and they sat there and said the only part that held up was the due process. They didn't give a shit that they took his guns. No. They only cared that it, he couldn't get them back. Right. So... Remember, if you don't start writing senators and representatives, that they may be willing to pass a red flag law that the cops can come in your house and take your shit under the community caretaker uh, exception as long as you have a quote-unquote pathway to get them back. And like I just said, it could be a 99% chance you're not going to get it back because if there's a 1% chance or it's a five-year waiting period, that's still a pathway. And it'll take forever to get that hashed out in court. We're still fighting over 30-round magazines. You think you're going to get back to the five years to get your permit kind mm-hmm. of thing? Come on, man. So... That's why this case is important, and I disagree with the with the lawyer on that because he's sitting here saying, like, I don't understand why we're debating this. This should be kicked back on its merits. He's right for this individual case, but he's not looking at the grander picture, which I do believe the Supreme Court is looking at the grander picture. Obviously, I think the liberal side of the court is looking more at the grand picture of if we want red flag laws to stand up, we need to set this up now. And then more conservative part of the court, I would hope, is looking at it like, holy fuck, this is a big fucking problem overall so i'm glad the court's taking the case because on the surface almost universally everyone can agree this was fucking bullshit mm-hmm. well actually that was the one good part uh or one of the few good parts i saw from the, the scotus review is that as these justices are kicking back these hypothetical scenarios and and you know what's uh, reasonably necessary to protect health and safety gorsuch basically threw his hands up and goes if we're doing this then what's left of the fourth amendment which is absolutely correct. Like, what, what do we have? If you're going to, if we're doing all these carve-outs, if we carve-out for this, carve-out that, exemption for this, exemption for that, in this scenario you can do this, and what do you have, like, what does the actual ink on paper mean anymore? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, and... It, and this, that's the danger, right, when we, you start throwing out exemptions. But and this, this is one of those places where we diverge, but don't disagree. Like, you're just a little more conservative about this stuff than I am. I do believe there needs to be quote-unquote, some carve-outs for, like, really extreme circumstances because, like we just mentioned before, and you said it yourself, modern technology and modern problems have developed the need for that. Do I think that this falls under that category? Absolutely not. And do I think property seizure necessarily should fall under that category? Absolutely not. Because there's a big difference between search and seizure. And people don't realize that. There's different decisions in the Supreme Court. Again, we're not going to go through every... This, we were talking about it before the episode. When you go into start getting into Supreme Court cases and, and constitutional law, it's a rabbit hole. It's worse than Reddit. You, did, you read one case, and next thing you know, you, are, you have read into 50 Supreme Court briefs, and you are buried. Right. There is a huge difference between search and seizure. And in this particular case, the seizure was the guns. The search was entering the home improperly. Mm-hmm. And... I think the search part is where we're going to use a scalpel here. And I think the search part is where exceptions to the Fourth Amendment is where we necessarily need to have the carve outs. I think the seizure part of it is where we need to really draw a line. Because you can't be taking people's property just because you happen to enter their home. And you can't rely on the individual officer. You can't. You should be able to, but you can't rely on the individual officer's opinion on the seizure part of it. Which they bring up, yeah. Because even I've made those mistakes. I've seized property that shouldn't have been seized. And I've been sued for that, everybody, and those people have won, and they got money from the city, all right? So chill the fuck out. But, and it was an honest mistake. But the uh, reality is, that's where I believe the carve-outs need to be. There has to be carve-outs for when I can enter your home 
not just for the not necessarily for this community caretaker exemption because this is a really dangerous exemption but for the agency obviously for the consent obviously because you know if you're innocent and you tell me to go in your home and i can prove you're innocent by going in your home you want that ability you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so it's one of those things but the seizure of property the finding of evidence of a crime those are where we need to be really careful and there needs to be we, we've talked about the scenario of the entering the home and i suddenly find evidence of child trafficking Yes, I should be able to seize property and, and evidence of child trafficking. But should I be able to dig through your cabinets and find a kilo of coke? Absolutely not. I shouldn't be allowed to do that. I shouldn't be searching for a crime that's not fucking relevant. But if I do happen upon something that's so fucking heinous that I can't let you go for it, you know, like, should you get off on a murder charge because I entered your home under community caretaker exemption and found a dead body on the floor that you murdered that person? Should I be able to let you go? No. But as you've eloquently put to me, you can't leap to the automatic worst case scenario. So we need to be very careful about these carve outs. Gorsuch is a little more conservative about a little yeah. more extreme. He's saying we shouldn't have any carve outs because it makes the whole document irrelevant. Well, and I disagree, but I also think we should have a measured response to this kind of thing. And I think this is the perfect time for the conservative court to show how conservative they are and say this particular exemption needs to be limited quite a bit. Well, this is where Gorsuch said the reason why he prefers warrants over this this whole thing is with warrants, you get notice neutrality, detached decision making, and a lack of arbitrary officer determination, which is the reason the reason why we're in this in the first place. Like that's one of the reasons why he preferred now it's not he's not saying you can't have any exemptions, but the problem is is that you especially your more liberal justices and even guys like Kavanaugh and Roberts are throwing they start just throwing out scenarios. And I even I made a joke. It's like, you know, they keep on, you know, what if there's a cat in a tree? What do you have this going on? What if somebody fell down? And then Ka- uh, Kavanaugh said, like, suicide statistics. What if somebody's afflicted with COVID? What if someone's enriching uranium in their basement? What if someone's making an Iron Man suit in their bedroom? Like, I can come up with any kind of contingency I need to to justify expanding my searches no, and, and seizure see, laws. See me on the, on the other side of it, especially when it gets to this level in the country, right? Like, this level of the court system is where you have to talk about those um, hypotheticals. Should the first district of Orion be talking about hypotheticals? Absolutely not. That's not their responsibility. But when you get to this level and you're using the case as a mechanism to broadly define a certain exception, you have to try and think of every conceivable scenario. And that, honest, that's why it takes three, four, five months to decide these things. They need to throw these out. Yeah, it sounds ridiculous on paper. It does. And I understand where you're coming from. But, like, they're broadly defining an exception to the Fourth Amendment. It shouldn't be taken lightly. And if you have to come up with a scenario where aliens invade and they have a base on the fucking moon and they lay claim to your fucking property, is it theirs or yours? Because we can prove that aliens existed in 1490 B.C. and they lived on your piece of land in Indiana. And we then you have to come up with those scenarios because it does affect the exception as a fucking whole. So I'm glad they're asking those questions. However, it does get to an extreme level, so I understand where you're coming it, from. Because I can understand, again, the elderly person who, who fell down the stairs. The scenario that, that uh, Kavanaugh brought up, one of them would actually did sound good, is that uh, you know I live with somebody below me, and there's a baby crying for four and a half hours. Nobody's tended to the baby. Something like that I can understand the exemption to, but then they start just... It's, honestly, it's almost like you're... That's another thing. That's a scenario you just came up with yourself that supports my point that this exception is required because I've had to go into homes to get children because their parents left for 12 hours and the three-year-old had no food and no water or, you know, infants had no food and no water. They left their eight-year-old to watch a baby. These, These are multiple cases. And I had to break the door down to get in because the kid didn't know how to open the door and this, that, and the other thing. And like, I had to save them and put them with ACS because that parent was just that negligent. I didn't even think of that exception. But, but they're, they're not even talking. The 
context of this is not necessarily just entering the home. It's I can enter the ho- I enter the home for that emergency. Here's the thing: you enter the home for that emergency. But that's not an emergency. And now, and You're now, not dying. Yeah, but here's the thing: you entered it for that particular scenario. What the original exemption or what the original emergency exemption clause is, is like that scenario, and now you're done. All person on the ground is you you te- you rendered aid. You have no reason to, to walk around the house and well, do a is, search on the house. This is where we were discussing this over text the other day, and this is something that the average person doesn't know. And this is just from experience. You do know that that restriction already exists, right? But then why did two police officers and no, no, they, fuck, they, they fucked up, wantonly violated? But that's what I said. On the surface of this particular case, this case should easily get bounced because those rules in that case already exist. The question is about this particular exemption, which I'm glad that the Supreme Court took this case to lay out this exemption. But those restrictions on our um, ability to violate the Fourth Amendment, for lack of a better word, are, are exceptions to the Fourth Amendment, the warrant requirement, already exist. And I gave you that perfect example the other day. We get a call, 911, for a shots fired at the 7-Eleven across the street from your house. Right? Yes. Sido, don't ever live next to a 7-Eleven. Yeah. We pull up. There's shell cases on the ground and witnesses that say they shot guns. We saw a guy limping into his house over there. But we don't know who he is and we don't know how, if he shot or not. We just saw him limping. Now, we have... That's an emergency exception. When did it happen? Five minutes ago, a minute ago, three minutes ago, whatever, a reasonable amount of time. We have an emergency exception now to go into your house and find you to, to, to render aid to make sure you don't bleed to fucking death. Now, I come in your house and I find you at, on the stairwell bleeding. I do not have an emergency exception now to go into the rest of your house because the exception was to find you to render you aid. Mm-hmm. That's that's it. That's because I got a witness that told me one person went in that house limping. Okay? Now, same scenario, except you're in the furthest back bedroom of your house. And I go through your whole house to your back bedroom and finally find you. But in the process of going through three other bedrooms, I find one room full of traffic children and one room full of fucking cocaine. That's evidence of a crime now. I... I have seen it. I secure the scene. I freeze the apartment. I do, after that, have to go apply for a search warrant. Obviously, I have probable cause to get a search warrant. I'm going to get it. But we do the paperwork anyway. And then I can take that property and charge you with those crimes separately from the trying to save you. That's a restriction. Now, same scenario. You're in the back bedroom. I go through the entire apartment. Don't find anybody, but find you bleeding in the bedroom. Start rendering aid. And my partner opens up your refrigerator and finds a severed fucking head in there. Can I charge you with that crime? No, because I had absolutely no legal reason to go into your refrigerator. None whatsoever. So now that evidence is fruit of the forbidden tree. It can't be used in your quote-unquote murder trial. Do you become a suspect in that murder and we have to find other evidence to charge you with the murder? Absolutely. I absolutely can use that to make you a suspect, but I can't arrest you. Mm. I can't even arrest you for disposing of a body improperly. I can't do anything because that's fruit of the forbidden tree. I didn't have a warrant to search the house for a severed head. I had an exception to find a person that needed aid. And there was no logical reason for me to go into that refrigerator. So in this particular scenario, the community caretaker exception should have applied to the, he might kill himself, we have to go get his guns. But you didn't, in my opinion, didn't have that exception because he was already in psychiatric care. He couldn't hurt anybody. You're right. The, their time to to try to claim they had this yeah. was when they originally so ran into the it's house. It's a misconception that when we have an exemption to the Fourth Amendment, a warrant exemption, that I suddenly, as soon as I cross the threshold of your door, I have free reign over your entire house. 
That's not true. And people believe that, and it's not true. I, I can enter your house with an exception to the, for a warrant exemption and search for what I'm there to search for, and very specifically that. And that's the reason the exemption exists, because of the exigency of it. Now, if we didn't have, say, the emergency exception, I would have to call the court, get a judge on the phone, because there's a night judge in every state and every county and every town, and if you say there's not, you're a bad cop. Um, and get them to fucking shake out a fucking sleep and go, okay, explain to me. All right, warrant secured. You have the warrant. I'm going to sign it now. I'm physically signing it now. You don't have to go get the warrant or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm physically signing And then you can go in, right? But in the time it takes me to do that, and even in ideal circumstances, it takes me five minutes, you bled to death. Okay. So, like, my exception to going to the house without a warrant generally still follows the same guidelines of I would have been able to get a fucking warrant anyway. And there's lots of case law that lays this out. Again, we're not going over one of these cases. Go search up warrant exceptions and read about it. Pause. I'll wait. Okay, we're back. So it's like, this is a misconception. That like all of a sudden I have this, this, I can just go into your house because I came up with an exception. That's not the way it is at all. And again, there's a limitations when I don't have a warrant to what I can search. There's limitations when I do have a warrant that I can search. Well, you and the police officers, uh, lawyer mark desisto are gonna gonna have to have a ideological uh clash of ideas here well it doesn't matter i'm unfortunately case law from the supreme court of the united states says that i'm correct on the broader spectrum oh no no on this particular case he's right so no he's we'll we'll get to it okay so do you have the police officer the, the two police officers and the department are represented by their legal counsel and also technically the United States are on the amicus brief that say we want this exemption we love it it's great who cares so his premise was the question presented is whether caretaking by police officers and first responders this is where we already fucked up um may under certain certain circumstances take place in the home without a warrant and it should so you're already bending the truth here because police officers in this scenario are not health care giving first responders. They're police officers. I, I agree with you. Now, we should have a quote unquote community caretaker exemption that doesn't necessarily have to do with medical care. There are examples of that. The child abuse thing, for example, just because they are being abused on a macro level doesn't necessarily mean they medical care that minute. But so that's why I don't like that they made that separation. But I do agree that in this scenario, they didn't have any reason. Mm-hmm. So, in addition to that, the uh, DeSisto said that the officers uh, needed to respond to an, an emergency or an extinguishment that could be immediate, by which the terms of his argument invited the court to identify and create a window of pre or post, pre or proto imminency opportunity for which the government could act without a warrant. This is imminency is debated all the time, uh, especially uh, I, I was listening to Justin Amish talk about this for the authoriz- authorization of use of force for basically our ability to like drone somebody into the ground. Imminency was an important topic because at what point is an attack on the United States immediate? One day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years? Well, it's, a, it's a situation by situation thing, which is dangerous when it comes to a Fourth Amendment envi- yeah, violation. It, exactly. <laughs> what's, what's immediacy like? A good example, I always like to use the child trafficking example because it's the easiest one. It's the most heinous thing anyone can think of. Worse than murder, in my personal opinion, is traffic, sexually trafficking children. If somebody is holding 10 children in a fucking cell in their basement, but feeding them, is there an exigency where it takes me... Should I have to kick that door down in five seconds? 
Now, most reasonable people would say yes. Now, let's say that I discover this evidence in New York that it's happening in California. In the time it takes me to fly to California as, say, a federal law enforcement officer and then kick the door in, six hours. Is that still immediacy? Maybe. But for the particular crime, it is. Now, I'm in New York and I find out that some guy in California has 10 kilos of coke in his house. Is that six hours that it takes me to fly there immediacy? Well, no. It's just coke possession. It's not, not going to immediately hurt anybody. You know what I'm saying? It's immediacy time frame changes on the sociological perception of the crime, which makes it very hard to lock down. We can all agree that pedophilia is five seconds or five years is exigency. But we all know that drug possession should not be. So it's, it's tough to lock down because crimes, all crimes vary in severity and vary in scope. And it's, it's tough to lock down agency. All you could say is, and this is why most Supreme Courses go, Supreme Court cases use a standard of reasonableness. The exigency has to be, the emergency has to be reasonable. Well, that was their, that, so this is the argument, is that their lawyer proffered that the risk Coniglia posed to himself or his wife should, not did, should have sufficed as potential harm where the need to respond could be immediate. There's a lot of shoulds and shoulds. You know, so his, their arguments around is a lot of should, could, might, which is shit that just drives me insane because we're, we're fighting over a legal gray area and your argument is putting us right back into, into a, gray gray area. Area. a gray area. And now, exigency itself is a gray area. But as we discussed at the beginning of the podcast and several times during the podcast that the community caretaker exception is not for exigency. No, not at all. It doesn't exist for that. It didn't exist for that when it only applied to cars and the automobile exception, and it should not apply to the home. It's not exigency. shouldn't be. And all the scenarios we've come up with so far, and I, Kavanaugh put this a really good way. He said it falls into like two buckets, right? Suicides and elderly. All the hypotheticals mm -hmm. they come up with fell into suicides and elderlies. Now, we came up with another one just on our own with the, the child right. abuse thing, but... None of those scenarios covered, I'm already in psychiatric care and you're coming to take my fucking guns in case I might kill myself next fucking week. Right. That's not exigency. Fucking it all. You have plenty of, he was held for 24 hours. You have plenty of time to go apply for a warrant to go, you, you have plenty of time to go apply for a red flag, red flag law exception with some psychiatrist to go get these guns. Plenty of time. Yeah. So what they did immediately was fucking wrong in any objective sense. So that's, so Gorsuch got pretty upset and he said that DeSisto, this lawyer for the police department, is trying to create an, an adjunct justification that can only be defined as possible cause, right? Which possible, is fucking right. Possible cause exists when the, ad, the <laughs> advent of potential harm is not so clear, but the need to respond could be immediate, so time is of the essence. Now, and that's per their lawyer. To pay, that's per the fucking police department's lawyer. Now, now to, to play devil's advocate for a second, there may one day... Or even currently, the case hasn't come up yet, where a, a new level of cause needs to be established, a possible cause, let's say. This is not the case. No. Like, there, I, can't, I can't, obviously, I have a decent amount of law enforcement experience, and anybody who's listening, if you got more than me, maybe you can come up with a story where possible cause, um, however they, you can define it, um, would be relevant. And I'm sure there's a scenario somewhere, somehow, where possible cause would matter. But it's a dangerous legal concept if I'm interpreting it correctly because it creates that minority report pre-crime thing. I have possible cause to believe that you're committing a crime. Again, that means that I, I, first of all, if they make that a thing, I can go arrest and detain about fucking 50 potential shooters in, in where I live. You know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, 
now I'm arresting innocent people. Well, actually, and, per, and this is the point the lawyer brought up, we actually have one place in technical legal doctrine where possible cause exists, and that's 1% doctrine that we use to justify the global war on terror. There's 1% chance that you could become a terrorist. I have a right to send CIA team out there. Yeah, but you know what's fun about that? It's really fun about it. What, what's fun um, about it? Those aren't United States citizens. And they uh, don't fall yeah, under the purview of the Constitution. They don't get our protection. Now, they fall under the purview of the Constitution where that those are inalienable human rights, but the Fourth Amendment's under the Bill of Rights. That's for us. So, Interpretably. <laughs> so basically, the police department is asking, what they're, they're saying is, I don't know when, but at some point, you may become a risk to yourself or others, so we need warrantless search and seizures at this ability to do this at all times, just in case at some point you. And I'm not making this fucking up. This is the exact words again. I'm going to repeat it. Possible cause exists when the advent of potential harm is not so clear, but the need to respond could be immediate. Time could be of the essence. That's their lawyer saying that this is the justification for using this community caretaker argument. That's fucking insane! That's, that is actual well, fucking precog thought police. I want everyone to pause for a second once again and listen to the anger and frustration in Joe's voice. So, I, uh, if you're a law enforcement officer and you're not familiar with FLETC, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, um, become, one, become familiar with it. You get a lot of free training. And one of the things that they do, which is really cool, is the informer email once a month. And they send you relevant Supreme Court cases and case law once a month that's going on for you to study and understand the scope of your job from a federal level. Obviously, state laws still apply. Please study your state stuff too. But And local municipality law, that also applies. But I got this in this case in the informer, and my first thought was, I'm going to send this to Joe because he's going to blow a gasket. I might actually accidentally kill him with an aneurysm requiring police officers to use the community care exception to come into his house to find his dead body. And I said, I can't wait to go. And you can hear it in his voice. Enjoy. But here's the thing that pisses me off. And this is where like, oh, we're the, the community caretaker. We're out here. We're trying to defend the community. This is this argument from the police department is not defending the community. It's we have precog thought police powers now of you could be. Here's the thing. What is this? When the advent of potential harm is not so clear, but when but the need to respond could be immediate. Give me a time frame for that. Give me a fair. Give me a time. Give me a time frame for that window. A month, six months, a year, two years, 10 years. Yeah, what if your like, dad's a gangbanger? Should I just arrest you just in case? Yeah, because you might turn you into might a turn into in return. Yeah, in return. But statistics show that you likely will. <laughs> that's like one hell of an ask right there. Come and that's that's like it's not somebody jitting this up out of thin air. This is actual words out of people's mouth. And uh, for what it's worth, when they actually started digging into it a little bit, uh, Breyer, who's not known for his uh, staunch conservative positions. Uh, was actually started to worry about like the reasonableness of of using this community caretaker exemption in the way that the police department wanted to, because I mean they're looking for basically, and his his um, basically created a scenario looking for subsidiary standards. The point where you made where it's like they did something and someone was like you can't fucking do that, and then they got back and dug through. They used the Google machine, saw this exemption, uh, caretaker. So again, going if you take the the department's argument in the Supreme Court that's going against them, if you go all the way back to where Caniglia's Caniglia lawyer said, "Hey, we need to uh, uh, be like clearly on the case on his merits should be thrown out." He's absolutely correct. 
this is one of those things that like cops tend to do. And like I see it all the time in my own department and, and with cases across the country is like we tend to do something that's right and then go back and find the reason to articulate that it is correct. If there's one thing you, you've heard as a police officer, articulation is the 99% of this job. It's like the most important part of the job is articulating what you did. Just remember that sometimes if you articulate it after the fact, you may have made a mistake and you can't cover for it with case law. You... If you're out there and you're listening, you're a law enforcement officer, and I know a couple of my friends listen to this podcast, and you guys are law enforcement officers, so take this to heart. Study your case law ahead of time so that your articulation's on point before, during, and after whatever action you took. Not just, I took an action because I knew it was right, and then tried to explain it later with case law because then you will make a mistake. We already looked at this. Joe over here who's objectively could give a shit about case law and law enforcement officers. He's a little bit more liberal. He doesn't think we should be coming in the house at all. Looked at it and said, well, there's already exceptions that exist that were more appropriate. So they fucked their own case up by using an exception that really wasn't even applicable. Not that any of the exceptions were applicable, but there were less irrelevant exceptions. Let's go with that, that they could have used. And they used this one because they used the Google. Now, don't get me wrong. Cops across the country backtrack backtrack jobs a lot especially when you're new and you're a rookie and you're just kind of doing things that cops are t senior cops are telling you are okay which again be careful of sometimes you did the right thing by law and you knew what to do but you didn't know how to explain it and you have to go find the relevant case law later and explain it that's okay that's totally normal sometimes you under you found evidence of a crime and you have to find your way to that evidence in a legal fashion because you happened upon it and you have to explain why you happened upon it in a legal fashion. And that's okay. That's how policing works. It's not an exact science. It's an art in a lot of ways. But in this particular example, they came up with some exception that they tried to explain later. And I'm sorry, it just doesn't hold up. Because they didn't know what they were doing initially. They just were doing whatever their sergeant told them to do or whatever they thought was the right thing. Or maybe something they've done a hundred times and just nobody sued. Which is what because I they think happened up here. They didn't read case law this entire job is case law it doesn't matter what your sergeant tells you to do your senior cop tells you to do what you've done a hundred fucking times what objectively seems like the right path because a lot of case law a lot of case law 99 percent of what we do is because it's objectively the correct thing to do you know what i'm saying but if you don't understand why it's the correct thing to do in a legal sense then you're doing yourself a disservice and opening yourself up to litigation lawsuits and firing and in some cases we've seen recently, and we're not going to cover those, we're not getting into that, some cases we've seen recently, actual arrest. Because you couldn't explain why you did what you did. Or you tried to explain it, and there were obviously holes in your logic. And it doesn't matter that there was a better explanation, because you weren't studied up in your own case law. Do not trust the lawyers that cover your department. Do not trust the lawyers from your police insurance. Your, if you're a concealed carrier, don't trust the lawyers from your concealed carry insurance. Don't trust them. Study the stuff yourself because in the heat of the moment, you're going to have to do it and explain it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's going to be a lot easier to do it and explain it if you have a good foundation of your case law. I am obsessed with case law. One of the reasons that we started doing Supreme Court cases on this podcast is me personally. I don't know what Joe's motivations are. You can talk about that if you want to. But my motivation for doing a lot more of these Supreme Court episodes is that it makes me a better police officer because I know at the very least on the federal level what I can and cannot do. Well, I, I'm motivated studying these cases because they can make a determination on, say, something like like a carbine ownership. I refuse to use the word assault rifle. So I own a carbine, and the federal government could overnight create a justification that turns me into a felon tomorrow for no, no fault of my own. But I like to pay attention to what's going on. 
But to double back to this this exact point, like a third time, both Sotomayor and Alito, who are certainly aren't on the same side of the fucking uh, justice coin, both said that the use of the community caretaker exemption had left them both confused as the exemption's coverage, right? Which the point is like your the point you were bringing up. So Sotomayor, Sotomayor specifically asked, like, what what level? What's the quantum suspicion? What what um compelled your officers to go back in and take the guns and this is the exact thing that that Gorsuch complained about and she asked him what are what are your limiting principles here what what would stop you or what compelled you to go in there and ironically you said a liberal judge asked that right yeah because liberal liberal everybody seems to not understand the concept of limiting principles and all of a sudden like that and that again is why I'm saying this case is just on the surface objectively the most fucking absurd how this got to the Supreme Court to fucking begin with is bonkers to me yeah i'm glad that it did because the supreme court's doing the right thing with it but it's bonkers to me because even the liberal judges are like i don't understand this exception is just fucking absurd right at this point point. and so they asked him like what's your limiting principles and they said objectively reasonable analysis is what the police department's limiting principles were on which goes back to what what uh gorsuch was saying was if you can't leave it up to independent individual determination as your legal analysis well, because that's that's all over the goddamn place because then you have no limiting I, principles i honestly actually like that term the objectively reasonable analysis because it's we're talking about the community caretaker exception, and me and you disagree on this, but I, I like the community caretaker exception to continue to exist. I don't want them to squash it. Um, I need them to limit it a lot more because that just, what was the name again? The judge? The liberal judge? Sotomayor. So Sotomayor is completely correct. There needs to be a limiting principle attached to it. Yeah, what is it? And they basically said there is no limiting principle. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the problem, which is why they, they took this case. Because again, objectively, object, and this is what objective, after objective reasonable analysis, you can obviously see that these cops were completely in the fucking wrong. But I'm sorry, they're mm-hmm. in the wrong. Um, so I actually like that they brought that term into usage because that, I think, is going to be the determining fact. That actually, I guarantee you, when this case is done, that's going to be the standard for this particular exception. That's going to be the new coined term that all cops around the country are going to use is objectively reasonable analysis. Because it's the same thing with objective reasonable suspicion for, like, say, a stop. Mm-hmm. It's under my professional... Ob- for objectively, from my professional experience, this is why I'm stopping this person. This goes all the way back to Terry stops in Terry versus Ohio. Objectively, I knew they were committing a burglary, so I stopped them and discovered evidence of said burglary. But doesn't that still leave like a wild gray but that's, area? But that's a this? suspicion. No, it really doesn't. It's objectively reasonable. And you got to remember, objectively reasonable draws from the experience of police officers around the country, right? It's everybody. You can't just sit here and go, well, I knew that because. That's not good enough. You have to give me determining factors that'd be the objectively part of objectively reasonable yeah the objective part is actually the important part um people think it's not but it is the analysis is the key because objectively reasonable suspicion is already is already a staple in law enforcement when it comes to terry stops i have a a reasonable suspicion to stop this person that doesn't mean you commit a crime doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you automatically get arrested i have an object i have reasonable suspicion and the implied point of that is objectively reasonable objectively in the totality of policing not i decided you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and it's reasonable as in a reasonably minded not crazy person could determine the same could come to the same conclusion okay so now you look now you're using analysis instead of suspicion i don't suspicion i don't suspect a crime i'm analyzing the situation and saying that my i in order for, to care for the community i need to do this again i don't think they even hit that and it's funny because they came up with the standard 
I don't feel they came up with that standard for this case. And I guarantee you by the end of the case, you're going to get a majority of the judges are going to say, it's an objective, reasonable analysis standard is a really good way to look at it. They didn't meet that criteria. We're, we're fucking siding on the side of the petitioner. Mm-hmm. But then they're going to define what objective, reasonable analysis is. And it is. It's an analysis of the situation, i.e., you called for your grandmother not answering the phone for 24 hours. You would like a wellness check conducted. I come, I knock on the door, and I look in the windows, and I can't see her. And I, uh, I have no re- I don't know what happened to her, and no one can get in touch with her. I can now enter your home. Objective, reasonable analysis would say she may be dead in her bed. I go into the house. She's not there. I leave. I apologize. The city pays to fix your door, whatever it is. That, that to me says a really good standard for that. Now, that possible cause bullshit, that is not a good standard right. for and that. They, so they doubled down on this again. So Alina Kagan, another mm-hmm. liberal justice, which is probably lends more credence to your point about how everyone thinks it's fucked up. It's why the officers didn't make the educated exigent circumstance or mercy aid exemptions in their arguments and their lawyer confessed that the timing of the potential harm was indeterminable basically we can't tell when he's going to use those guns so we're just going to take them now and this, then this, is where it's relevant. this right here is where it's relevant for red flag laws and it's good that the liberal judges are questioning that it's actually a good thing it gives me faith back in the supreme court that they're the only parent we have left like yeah said they're before. the only adult in the room because like they're even though they disagree on the the firearms part of it they're looking at the property seizure part of it and going that doesn't make any fucking yeah. sense you can't in no other part of policing no other part of it that i've encountered before and again if you've got 25 years in the job and you can come up with some scenario to me that i'm not aware of um outside of nuclear weapons or something um an indeterminate amount of time does not justify exigency. No, because it's in. Indi- I don't know when it's going to happen. There's no, like I said, the only exception to that would be maybe like, oh, uh, they may be in possession of a nuclear bomb. Right. The, again, so we're circling back to 1% doctrine. For yeah, like on the, Again, it's a, unless you can objectively reasonable analysis determines that they might have a fucking nuclear bomb in their house. Like, they, they, an indeterminate amount of time is, is, is completely unreasonable, which would fall under not reasonable suspicion not reasonable analysis and i really 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 like that term and i think that's going to be the determining factor for this case mm-hmm. and now this is again this is where kavanaugh lost some more points with me because he's not really arguing he's trying to recreate intent again so kavanaugh wondered if if coniglia's case was simply a confusion of nomenclature i.e the first circuit misnamed the application of the emergency aid act exemption again you can't go back like you can't fix it for them stop trying to do that I agree with you, and I, I don't like it from Kavanaugh, especially Kavanaugh. Yeah, especially Kavanaugh. I've, however, I think we got we got a, a couple of factors here. Kavanaugh may be playing devil's advocate for his. That might be his way of judging. He plays devil advocate in his questions and arguments to support his own conclusions. He already has an idea of what he thinks about this case and says, "Let me pretend I don't agree with the case and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And if I can fly the floor on my logic." then I'll reconsider. If I can't find a flaw in my logic, then I was correct. That just might be his way of analyzing things. On the other side, what we have to worry about now, because this is not the first time he's done this kind of analysis, if that's not what he's doing, then he may be trying to make up for the liberals hate me thing. It might be an outside factor to him. Mm-hmm. He's trying to justify his place on the court so that it's not a question when he retires for his legacy that he was the rapist guy. Right, it's a little... And that's, that's what is super me. dangerous because that yeah. means mob law really does control the country. I don't think that's it. I think the man's a man of integrity, personally. 
um, just from listening to his hearings. Obviously, we dug into him more than anybody else. I know him better than any other justice on the court. Uh, so we had three months of hearing about every aspect of his personal life from when he was a fucking child. But to me, that just seems like that's his analytical style. It's not my analytical style. But that sounds like it might be his. And maybe that's what he's doing. And I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. It sounds like he wants to side with, quote-unquote, us on this one. But he's asking the devil's advocate questions to see if he can find a flaw in his own logic. And to, to round out the argument with the, the uh, police department's lawyer, um, Comey Barrett asked how under common law this, this exemption would apply to other things. She specifically brought up COVID-19, and this is a stickler for her. So she said if, um, if you were a police officer walking down the street, you know, you're on a beat, you're, you're doing your walk, swinging your, your baton or whatever, and you see a group of people in a house in a state that says you can't have groups of people meeting up, the governor made a, made a rule, um, what would your, would, would it be a limiting factor for you to go in the home and apply this community caretaker exemption to remove people from the home because they're violating code protocols and the police department and their lawyer for the police department said they would be able to do that. My question is, is like, would refusing to say get like a COVID vaccine at this point, if this goes through and they side with the first circuit district, would refusing a vaccine qualify under community caretaker? Could I be forcibly removed from my property? Could I have property removed from me as I'm a danger to society if I if I don't get the well, needle? First of all, the uh, the state government of New York already talked about the removing people from their home mm-hmm. because they didn't. Um, they posed a significant risk to everybody in the house that they contracted COVID. So the idea that we could get to a point that if you didn't take the vaccine, you exhibit some weird threat to everybody else is like completely fucking believable that somebody would do that. So that's a great question by Barrett. Um, all I can speak to, again, this community caretaker example kind of kind of fits that in its current interpretation because it's a gray area. Again, this is a good reason they took up this case. It's a gray area. That question is not answered in current case law. As far as I know, again, if you have some answer to that, I don't shoot me, uh, shoot us an email, but I'm glad that the court's taking this case up specifically, especially in COVID times. This is a great case to take up because it will apply to that. Now, my interpretation based off of my experience over the last year and what my particular department has asked me to do, if I was walking down the street on my foot post and saw a group of people, let's say the let's say the restriction was 10 people and I saw 12 people in a house in a living room dancing it up with no masks, my my only requirement was that I could walk up to their door, knock on the door and say, hey, you're in violation of the COVID rules. I can see it through the window. You know, you guys can, you, you're subject to fines. And then my department told me to stop at that. There was no, they, we weren't writing tickets for that. We weren't arresting people for that. Yeah. They specifically told me that you don't have a right to do that, but you are required by the department to knock on their door and inform them of the COVID restrictions and tell them that they're subject to fines. So, if I don't see where there is a restriction on the police for that particular thing, and this is where that community caretaker exemption, the reason they took this case to create those restrictions, they create that... Um, Fuck, my brain's not working. Create that that uh, limiter, that reasonable limiter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist right now. So what was stopping? What was stopping my particular department from saying, "Well, they're violating the municipal statute"? Write them a ticket at the minimum. Nothing. I saw twelve people dancing around without masks, having a gathering. I could write the homeowner a fucking ticket, mm-hmm. a ten thousand dollar fine, an unreasonable fine, which is determined by the Bill of Rights, unreasonable search, seizure, and that that falls under fines. 
it, I think that's actually the Fifth Amendment defines. Um, it's one of them for for cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, yeah, that one. So I'm, I've been drinking. Shut the fuck up for me not knowing that. I understand that it makes you doubt me and my expertise, but fuck you, listeners. Anyway, my my point being is this is a really great way to limit that, and I'm really appreciative of the court for actually taking this case. Well, this is, and I actually should have probably maybe brought this up earlier, but I'm going in in the uh, briefs. This is so they they briefed the federal government last. So the nine states that are signing on to this amicus brief come up last, and because they dealt with the person, the aggrieved person, the other person, and the other government's kind of like, we were petitioning, and the Supreme Court's like, yeah, all right, come in. And they said Supreme Court signed on, the federal government signed on to the amicus brief because this is fundamentally fundamentally different from any other Fourth Amendment case that they had on their docket, which is technically is. true. This is, a, this is an exception that got laid out by the Supreme Court mm-hmm. in the Bravosky case, or however you pronounce that shit. Um... And honestly, in that case, they should have laid out restrictions, and they didn't. This is exactly the purpose of the Supreme Court. This case itself should have been a ground ball for the lower courts. I'm fucking shocked that it was not. Mm -hmm. But I'm really happy that when it got up to the Supreme Court, they saw that there was a problem with this and are taking it. And from what we've talked about already today, it seems like the liberal justices are taking it just as seriously as the conservative justices. And I'm sure that they're very minor changes in the way they believe on things is what's going to determine this this particular exceptions result. The community caretaker exemption, which is, again, is something I didn't necessarily know the term for before this. It was just something I did all the time, which shame on me. But I'm really glad this is going to come to the forefront somewhat of recent decisions because they need to come up with a framework for this. It's too broad. Well, the federal government is contesting this as in they're fighting Coniglia. I'm 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 always going to slow pronounce that for this episode. God, I hope you guys have been laughing. I love because jokes. The question is not to act now or get it act now or get a warrant or first. It's either to act now or not at all because there is no warrant process for a lot of non-criminal investigatory situations. And so they're talking about like when you went to the house and grandma fell down the stairs or something along those lines. And they also brought up a point that I will begrudgingly uh, accept. Now that we've talked about it a little bit more, the fact that they want the case dis- uh, in front of the Supreme Court is that there's um, there's too many fact-specific tests that make sense, given your moral arguments, um, but the community caretaker exemption is too bound by the Katie versus whatever it is mm-hmm. determination. The, the, the yeah, the Katie versus Bravosky determination to, to really play into effect here, so they need a better determination. I like Tom. Thomas threw it in at the end. He's like, Thomas noted that some individuals would simply rather not, uh, rather the government not enter their homes or and leave them alone. <laughs> like, yeah, no shit, Tom. I, I get that. From the very libertarian perspective, and like we, we talk about all the time that we lean towards the libertarian viewpoint, and like, Again, you lean more than I do, but we were leaning that way. More better to be more libertarian than than way too progressive in government control. But unfortunately, and I'm sorry for all you conservatives that listen to me that are like, "Fuck the government." Um, there needs to be policing, and there needs to be reasons why we can go in your home. And sometimes determining factors means I don't. There's not a practical amount of time for me to go apply for a warrant. There's just not. Now, we can mitigate that with procedures and technology, and, like, I could FaceTime a judge while I'm standing in front of the door, but that still takes time. Well, I think Thomas's point is, like, even if the government's issues while meaning, like, the government's um, 
their rights and responsibilities aren't to make sure that I'm hunky-dory every day in my house, which is his concern. And he even specifically brought up that he's concerned that we already have exemptions in place to address almost everything we're talking about. And we're doing a disservice to the Fourth Amendment by creating a new exemption. But this exemption already exists, so I disagree with that assessment. It's this exemption exists, and then if, if his opinion is that we're creating a new one, then he should be more arguing the elimination of this particular exemption. Which I'm not against. If they turn around and they eliminate it because it's too broad, I understand that decision. Well, that was uh, the government. Uh, woman's name is Ratner. Last name is Ratner. There, the government's argument is that the community caretaker uh, exit exemption is too stringent for their timing requirements to, re to get a warrant or stuff like that. You're talking like what was brought before him. So they're saying that that they want to create it so that the, the warrant. It's too long to get a warrant for certain processes. It's not the police department I'm talking about. I can cut, I'm going to play time police and come in here five years before you end up shooting somebody and take your guns. But the the issue at the end of the day, and Eve, again, Sotomayor actually comes in <clears throat> uh, clutch here again from my my standpoint is that at the time they, the police department went and seized the guns, like the emergency situation was over. That's. That's where I'm coming from, and this, this is kind of—it's funny because I'm agreeing with her. Like I, I don't think this exemption should be removed. I think it needs severe, severe restriction because, like, if if it's so bad that there's exigency, you already have the exigency exception. You know what I'm saying? But you can't get rid of it because there there may be some obscure, ridiculous scenario that we're not thinking of that the community caretaker exemption would allow me into this home that I could save somebody's life. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, that was yeah. That's also what they said in the amicus. You can't brief. get rid of it. You need to limit it severely because it's way too broad right now, and that's the problem. They said that uh, though their entry and seizure of the guns was a close call, was ultimately reasonable. Which again, I don't agree with. I, I don't think you, disagree. Yeah, you, you don't agree with. That's why I like that standard of the objective, reasonable analysis. Objective, reasonable analysis, i.e., twenty twenty science hindsight, because that's what twenty twenty hindsight really is. Objective, reasonable analysis. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about objective, reasonable analysis in the in the midterm. Shows that these these cops were. Just, this was just a, a bad seizure. Well, that was, was a, a bad yeah, seizure. Barrett brought that up at the very end. Yeah. Not at court. Not reimagining their intentions. Not any of the stuff they're mm -hmm. doing right now. At that time, during the second entry, what common law trespass rule justified seizing Caniglia, uh, his Caniglia's guns? And at least the government was honest. They said none. There were no. There was no law allowing them to do this. Right. And this is the problem with the first. The first circuit court. They kind of like. We imagined what this um, caretaker clause meant and what their original intent was, and then they went and took it. But that's kind of like the end of the brief. Um, they, they they argue around a little bit in the end. Coniglia has he has his own rebuttal, um, and it's basically along the lines of that I was proven to not have a, a mental issue. I had a bad fight with my wife. There was no loaded gun. I was lied to about not take. No one mentioned taking firearms to me. They told my wife. That I think it's even said that they told us like basically like you had mentioned earlier. I think that they it was kind of like tongue in cheek. Yeah, he said it wouldn't be a big deal if we took the guns, and then they refused to give them back, which is where the lawsuit came from. And he won that part of the lawsuit. He did. They, well, it's important to mention that the first issue they did, did give hold him back. up his right to due process, a hundred percent, and he won that part of the lawsuit. The only reason he continued with this was because he said, "I don't care that I got my guns back. You shouldn't take them in the first place." And Again, assholes, if you hadn't taken his gun in the first place, this lawsuit wouldn't have existed. So you did it to yourselves. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, that's, that's really where it is. The good parts about this is that they had some conservative and liberal justices seemingly on the same page, where it was, and this, but not uh, community caretaker aside, like this particular case, you guys genuinely fucked up. So I do think this guy's going to win his case. I'm concerned about when they reinterpret, and they will end up as a reinterpretation. I, I'm just imagining. I think that's where the this. disagreements are going to come, and you're going to see the dissenting opinions when mm-hmm. the when it's finally decided. That's where you're going to see the the separation. I think it sounds, especially from the stuff you're reading and the stuff that I've read, it's the liberals and the conservatives are all kind of on the same page about the property seizure part of it. Mm-hmm. It's just the exception itself that they're kind of debating on, and they they're yeah, it's generally on the same page in that it's it's going to be the framework itself that where the dissents are going to be. Yeah, and I'm I'm worried about where the new reimagination of the community caretaker clause is going to land. I have to be I have to lord over it a little bit more than you do because we operate under two distinct set of laws. I've talked about this beforehand. Something that grinds my gears a little bit. Um, which is why I brought this case up. I'm going to I'm gonna lose I lose this case nine times out of ten, and I I probably can't find a single case where a police department went into another police officer's home and took their guns like this. Almost non existent. So I have to I have to be a little bit more vigilant about this because if I Judging from this, and who knows how many times that, that was at Cranston, Rhode Island, I don't know how many times that police department's done this before, and this is the first time they've been sued. They could have done this to that's tons a, of other people. That's an overall problem with a lot of these cases that come up to the Supreme Court, and one of the reasons that the Supreme Court needs to take cases like this, exactly for the reason I've been saying the whole episode, is that not because this objective case is difficult to decide, that it's going to be a framework for this particular situation in the future. You don't know how many times they've done this. It could, yeah. Who knows? Most how many Supreme times. Court cases, most Supreme Court cases, especially Second Amendment relevant cases, are one guy finally was like, "Fuck my life savings, fuck my reputation, fuck my job." This is on principle. A lot of the cases that get to the Supreme Court are, are those people are on principle alone. It doesn't. Yep. They don't give a shit about monetary damages or what it does to their life or any of that. They were just like, "This is the hill I'm going to die on and plant my flag," and it got all the way up to the Supreme Court. How many times has this happened where the person finally got their guns back and said, good enough? Right, and they did. After he filed the lawsuit, and then it actually went, guns back. went to because a federal appeals court. Yeah. be good enough. Yeah. yeah, they went to a federal appeals court. They, they literally summoned him to the police department one day and just threw, basically, here's your guns, get out of her hair. The issue is, for most of these, these government overreaching cases, it's usually a hypothetical for me. They're going to do this. They might do this. Like, this isn't a hypothetical. Like it's it's they did it. it's real. It already happened. It. And Colin Noir talked about this. Noir, sorry, yeah. uh, about how with the gun grab works is like it doesn't matter if in the end you're right. They already took your guns. It's already too late. It's already too late. And like you had mentioned beforehand, they went and seized his firearms without a, any way to get them back. There was no avenue for him to get the guns back. And again, he won that that part of the suit, right? But at, at that, but now at this point, like he's fighting for the rest of us. And and Ben Shapiro and talked about thank this. God, like thank God, this guy's fighting right. for the rest of us. And and this is coming from a police officer that again unknowingly has used this exception before and can find relevant reasons to use this exception. This was not the proper way to use this. I'm glad this guy's fighting the case, and I'm glad that me as the officer is going to have a framework to use this exception in the future. I'm going to be able to know because I study case law what I can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. 
But Ben Shapiro brought up an interesting point a couple weeks ago on, on one of his, his Pox's episodes. And everyone keeps on talking about, like, this isn't the hill to die on. This isn't the hill to die on. Eventually, you run out of hills to die on, you know, like, to plant your flag and do your fight. So, actually, like, you you actually have to do this. I've been searching around um, the lawyer. I can't say his name. I can't know how to pronounce it. Uh, D-V-O-R-E-T-Z-K-Y. I'm trying to see if there's, like, any other organizations that are funny. It's usually when you get cases like this. When it when you get the first no, it appeal, sounds like it's a personal. Right. It's, like, it's, I'm it curious sounds like it's personal. Caniglia is like got money or something. It, I would imagine so because this can't be. Well, this guy took it pro bono, which would also be very expensive because he's he's fighting against the police department, their lawyer, the the appeals court, and there's apparently nine states on the amicus brief that are also talking about supporting this. So there's a ton of resources on the other side of this. And it's not cheap. And the, the part we bring about the justice is going on, and we talk about how this case law expands and stuff like that. These justices, each one of the nine justices has a platoon of legal clerks that go over all kinds of stuff. They write them, they basically write them dissertations we, on, on relevant case law. And we, they read made that. The, uh, we made the comment at the beginning of this is once you dig into one Supreme Court case, especially a more recent one, you go down this rabbit hole of 30 cases. Yeah. Now think about all the, now that's just Supreme Court cases. Then you have to go into all the local cases. Federal docket, yeah. The federal, all the way down to the Rhode Island First Court to figure out what everybody's thought process was and then what cases influenced that. Because, like, the first circuit in in Rhode Island is influenced by all their municipal circuits. And they're reading into all those cases to make the decision on a state level and municipal level. And then to go to the state level and, like, that district for all those states has to read all those states' case laws and all those municipality case laws and all those local towns. They click. All the and then you get to the Supreme Court. You're talking about you need 30 people to read fucking everything. Yeah, and when you originally sent in this case, obviously, to aggravate me. I did. I literally, I, again, listeners, I did it intentionally to aggravate y'all. I was originally upset with the with the normal brief, but then when I got down to the the representative for the police department who who uh, gave off, he gave out his idea that at some point I'm going to be a threat. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know exactly the exact time. Like that stuff is. But the part for me is like that's genuinely scary because Cranston, Rhode Island is not some huge, super powerful police department, and. There could be a government, and it's just like that local government isn't all that strong. Maybe and they don't have as much oversight as right. other departments. Yeah. And the thing is, is like there's plenty of other governments that think that way. Your local county government could think that way. Your municipal government could think that way. Your state government. The problem is they can essentially do whatever they want until they get their hand caught in the cookie jar, which is what happened with this particular case. They went in, dropped them off, came back, took the guns, held on to them, told them, no, you can't have them back. And then... I'm sure there were plenty of cases where the people just either threw their hands up and waited a couple of years or never got their property back from the police department. This guy actually went, fuck you, I'm suing, and and rolled this bitch to the Supreme Court. And during that, I guess the department got spooked enough for like, here, take your guns back, hopefully well, you drop the case. That's kind of where I, you just mentioned Shapiro said eventually you run on the hills to die on. And I think that's the, the perspective that all of us that, that respect freedom need to understand is that there are, you never run out of hills to die on. You'll never will. If it's that important to you, you die on that hill. Yeah, the rest of us might think you're an asshole. But, and like, you, you get this in your relationships. You get this in your friendships. You get this in strangers. You get this on court levels to the Supreme Court of the United States. Like If it's that important to you, die on that hill. Fucking plant your flag and mm. don't give in. So, major respect to Caniglia. Caniglia? 
to uh, for planting not, a flag. Not so much his lawyer because his lawyer kind of gave the Supreme Court a, a leg to stand on. Because good, good lawyer, heart's in the right place, but he gave them a good standard now. But uh, yeah, thumbs up to Caniglia. If we can uh, find him and write him a letter and say thank you for giving us content, I say we do it. Definitely. Um, I hope he doesn't spend too much time being upset or having tears or writer's tears yeah. about this yeah. because um, it's a very... If not, we'll buy him a bottle of writer's <laughs> tears for giving us uh, a hill to die on here. Well, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's scary to look at this because if he never sued, nobody would have held, been held accountable for this. Nobody. Ever. So... Him being having the resources or having the ability or just doing the the fuck it I don't give a shit and actually suing to see it make its way up to the Supreme Court is good in the fact that they seem to be chipping away at the argument that they had that the officers were in the right, but it's also scary for me because they also are reconsidering some certain aspects of an exemption that I think is is going to lend itself to be abused often see i'm on the uh I'm a, again this is where the whole argument for this episode came from is like i'm on the opposite side of that i'm happy they took the case because i want them to put a framework on this particular exception but this particular exception is used all the time even if we weren't aware of it so i i'm upset it got to this level because i think the case should have got shot down in that very first court but i'm happy it got here because you're finally going to lay out a framework for me to use a police power without actually, quote-unquote, violating people's rights. I'll have a better framework to use this particular exception. Well, it's not air quote violating people's rights. It's actually well, violating this people's yes, rights. Yes, this case yeah. is, but it's going to give me a framework to make sure that I don't do it incidentally. Well, not not so much me, because, again, I, I try and study, and, like, I'm tooting my own horn here. I kind of know when I can and can't do things. But rookie cop might have a better understanding. There might be a level of training on this exception, because it's going to be more firmly laid out. Uh... Basically, uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to more um, unreasonable search and seizure arguments between me and Joe because we have very different views on the whole thing uh, in the future because we love these. Uh, I personally, I like the Supreme Court episodes that we do. They're interesting. I'm not a legal scholar. I don't have uh, I don't have a lot of time to go through too many SCOTUS briefs, but it is interesting to see the amount of work that goes into these these cases, uh, it's going to take, like we said before, it's going to take months of people doing legal analysis to come up with a decision. This is one I'm going to be paying attention to. I have it uh, I have it marked on SCOTUS Watch, so once a decision or preliminary decision comes in, I'll have a, a reading. We might even do an addendum and touch up on the decision. We haven't done an addendum in a while. We haven't. Um, probably has something to do with our abysmal recording schedule. Yeah, we apologize <laughs> again for our, uh, again, routine now. Um monthly episodes yeah monthly monthly setup uh I, I have been asked by several people to do more episodes more often so we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll what do we it. can i'll try and work around it's obviously busy for the both of us um in the meantime writer's tears uh give it a shot ask for it for christmas or something uh i don't i'm not again i'm not thrilled with the price for what you get but that's not to say that it's bad uh i genuinely enjoyed drinking it tonight um, I'm sure that the writers of these briefs shed a few tears because they were very complicated and took them a long time. Uh, very, very on-brand middle-of-the-road whiskey. Do your best if you haven't. But lovable. And uh, anyway, great time. Great we chatted. <laughs>